Galatians 5:22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. All right. Are we good? I am. I got to... I talk while I try to find my, my notes and open them up. All right, so, uh, okay, so we've been in uh, Galatians for a while. We took a break for a few weeks to do things like baptisms and uh, marriage conferences and all kinds of stuff, but we're back, and I'm going to try to finish this book by the end of the year and possibly start Matthew in the new year. We'll see. Um, <clears throat> that'll be fun. So... Um, Yeah. First, we talked about um, the fruit of the flesh. Now, fruit, obviously, something that grows on a tree. And Paul says, uh, human beings are like trees. (laughs) Uh, And there's fruit that grows on them. And he says, um, living in these different ways will cause different kinds of fruit to grow on the trees. And and scriptures are clear. You can tell what people are by the fruit that is growing upon them. And Paul starts off by saying, uh, there's fruits of the flesh over here. And the fruits of the flesh, um, they, they're malice, envy, strife, things that pull us apart. He uses a lot of words that in, in their particular day all kind of stacked together to mean something that was sort of us moving away and separating it or trying to get what is ours apart from everyone else. And it's sort of living by the flesh is sort of this base level animalistic sort of every creature in the world lives this way. I see, I want, I take. Um, that's living by the flesh. Living by the spirit is, um, in a way, I'm talking about sort of levels of consciousness, if you will. Things that, the ways that you make decisions, where you live from, where your mind is operating from. Operating from the spirit, this whole other level of, of consciousness, if you will, um, as cheesy as that word is, um, is kind of, um, it's, it's vastly different because you're living by spiritual things. You are um, living by the things of God. You're rising above everything else, and living in this other way. And Paul says, when you do, you're going to have fruit that grows on you. People are going to see things happen to you. So we've already talked about um, the first uh, four. The, spirit of, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. This week we're going to talk about these five, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then we're going to tackle this sort of um, summary that he gives here. So I'm going to open this up in prayer, and we're going to jump into this. Shall we? Father, we come as your people and we open ourselves up to you and we ask that you would speak to us. There are um, people in this room who are dealing with heavy things, with pain, with loss, with fear. Um, There are doubters, there are learners, there are listeners, there are people who are all all over the board as far as as, um, what we are bringing in here this morning. I ask first and foremost that you would give us peace and calm, that we'd be present with you, with your people, that we'd understand that we are absolutely loved, desperately loved by a God who, who knows us so infinitely that he then loves us equally infinitely. And there's nothing we could do to cause you to love us more or less. Nothing. And so let that first be what we build off of, and secondly, give us knowledge, 
Um, and with this knowledge, give us wisdom. And let us learn how to apply these things in our daily life. Thank you. In your name. Amen. So we're going to start here. The way it's going to work is I'm going to, when I get to lists of words, I'm going to take these words and I'm going to open them up and try to show you what the original listeners would have heard um, <clears throat> and how they would have applied it to their world. And then we can sort of talk about how we can apply it today. The first word is kindness. Kindness is this Greek word, krestotes. Everyone say krestotes. Beautiful. Um, so krestotes is, uh, this word's used several times in scriptures. Um, one time is, uh, is 2 Corinthians Oh, so yeah, six six, and uh, in this in this in this phrase, he's basically it's it's used when describing how Christians will respond to persecution and suffering. So Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he gives them a list. They're going through some persecution, some suffering. They're terrified. Paul gives them this um, this way that sort of Christians respond to this kind of thing. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by kindness, Christotes. Um, <clears throat> There is another passage that uses this. It's in Matthew 11.30. It's Jesus himself talking. He says, for my yoke is easy, Christotes, and my burden is light. My yoke is easy. So if you didn't grow up in the church, if you're not familiar with how to read the scriptures or first century literature or what's going on here, Jesus is not talking about breakfast. Um, he is talking about one of these things. So this is called a yoke. This is in the first century it's a first century agricultural tool. Um, the giant piece of wood would go over two oxen and the thing put under their neck. The other thing, and then on the ring in the middle, there's this giant blade, a till, um, would be attached behind it. And these things would walk together, these cattle. Um, and it would till the ground behind the cows. And uh, the thing about this is that there is regularly um, in the, 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 the um, sort of the banter of the synagogue, the way that the um, religious teachers would talk about the kingdom of God and what they were establishing in this world, they would always use agricultural metaphors um, because the people are very familiar with them. And so um, they would speak of the digging, the tilling of the earth and what we were planting as the kingdom of God. Now, they believed something very different than we do. They believed that the kingdom of God was this literal earthly kingdom like the Roman Empire. And that if everyone would sort of obey and live up to the law, then um, the Messiah would come and the kingdom would be established in the world and crush all its enemies. So they had this very like literal earthly empire kingdom. And a lot of Christians do today. But this is sort of one of the ways that they would talk instead of sort of Jesus' message of the kingdom of God being this um, very spiritual, heavenly way to live and this future reality that God will bring about. And they would speak of what you're doing when you're, when you're tilling the ground as you're planting the kingdom of God. And you are on one side of the yoke and the law is on the other. And you are yoked to the law. And you are working with the law to plant the kingdom of God. You follow? Now... This law was constantly under renovation and constantly changing. They had the books of, of the Old Testament and the, the religious leaders would take these books and they would read them and they would interpret them in different ways and they would apply new laws all the time. New laws that would help you better adhere to the old laws because if you're having trouble adhering to old laws, you should get new ones that'll help you better adhere. More laws always helps, right? And so they would do this. And then at one point, Jesus sort of goes to the religious elite and he, and, he, and he puts his finger in their face and he gives what's called the 10 woes in the book of Matthew. Woe to you who do this. Woe to you who do this. Woe to you who do this. And he's always talking about the spiritual leaders. Now, um, one of the things he said to the spiritual leaders was this. 
They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Now, he's, again, speaking in in this kind of language. Tying up heavy loads and laying them on them, sort of like oxen, and you're bound, you're yoked to to this law. And he's saying... The spiritual leaders in their day are taking more and more law, things that God demands of you so that God will show you love and accept you and bless you. And they're piling more and more stuff on top of your back. But the religious leaders themselves are unwilling to even walk up and put a finger on the back and help you carry it. And this is how he speaks of them. And so Jesus says this in Matthew 11, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Easy is the word krestotes. It is the first word we have here kindness. It is light. It is easy to bear. It's not irritating. It's not obtrusive. It's not heavy. It's not difficult. It's it's not something that you are always fighting against. Um, One of the fruits of the Spirit is sort of this, this lightness. It's an easiness about you as it pertains to your responsibility to God and the world. It's not hard to grasp. It's not hard to understand what God wants of you. It's not hard to work with God. There's this lightness about you. Now, this may not be the, the first fruit that grows on you because in actuality, it's, it takes a lot of discipline um, to get to know God and his kingdom in this way that this is what comes about. But nevertheless, this is one of the fruits of living by the Spirit. Um, now, there's also more language in secular literature in the first century that uses the word crestotes as a way of describing wine that is aged. So new wine is bitter, it's a little more harsh, and old wine is more mellow, it's a little sweeter. Um, and so you kind of think it's, it's more mature. It's, it's been able to like sort of mellow out. And so it's used to describe sort of a mellowness and a sweetness. And so one of the things about kindness as a fruit of the Spirit is that it's, it's soft. When somebody is living by the Spirit, there is this way about them that is sort of like velvet glove-handed, like everything, it's just, it's easy, it's soft. It's, um, if I were to take all these ancient ideas, first century ideas, and apply them to sort of one definition of the fruit of kindness and what it looks like, because honestly, when you... When you sort of look up a definition, an English definition of the word kindness, you don't get all of this, all of this meaning and depth. But if I were to sort of, sort of to write out a divine, uh, sort of a, um, a definitive sort of description of what this word means, I would argue it's this. It is an easiness, not just in words and actions, but like a blanket spread upon your own life. It's something that soothes your spirit and your bones and a way of moving through the world that is easy. It's calm. You're not stressed out. You're not worried. There's this trust. There's this faith. Um, and so the way this is written, it says kindness and goodness. These two things go together. They are joined together because the word goodness is next. And goodness is similar, but the word, uh, the Greek word is agathasune. Everyone say agathasune. Agathasune is uh, it's a word that only occurs in the Bible. It's, it's sort of one of a, a Paul specialty. It's, uh, it's one of those words that um, it has a spiritual Christian meaning. And um, it's very similar to Christotes, but it includes sort of one more thing that sort of balances out. It's similar to kindness, but it contains the possibility 
of rebuke. So we all know people who are like all rebuke all the time or, or people who are all soft all the time. Well, it's okay. It's okay. No, yeah, I wish they would stop, but they, I guess they don't have to. It's fine. Uh, or people that are just, you know, and these people tend to be like just weak. And these people tend to be, have low self-esteem and they're angry at the world for whatever reason. And they pick one or the other and they say their way is the right, the just, the moral way, the righteous, godly, holy way to live. But there's something that they're missing. Because someone who's living by the fruit of the Spirit kind of has both. And there's this wisdom and knowing how to apply it. It is not wrong to rebuke people. It's something that should be done. But there should also be wisdom in knowing when to do it. It is not wrong to treat somebody in sin, in doing something terrible, to treat them with softness and love. But there is this wisdom whereby you should have and and know which one should be applied. Um, Let's put it like this. It was Christotes that allowed Jesus to respond to the harlot with love and Agatha Sune, which caused Jesus to make a whip out of rope and drive money changers out of the temple. Money changers who were, who were taking advantage of people who were coming in to be reconciled to God, and they were from other places, and they've traveled a long ways, and they have money, and, and, and they're buying the sacrifices, and the money changers, they have to buy it in, in temple coinage. It's like, it's like Chuck E. Cheese tokens, right? Um, no, you can't use quarters. Why? It's a scam we're running. Don't worry about it. Um, They'll say that. Ask them. Um, and, and so, uh, no, we're going we're gonna to charge you more, and, and we're going to make a profit off of your desire um, to rid yourself of the guilt and the pain and be reconciled to God. And Jesus is not having it, right? But then there's other times. And so they're in sin, and he's just flipping tables and hitting them with ropes and rebuking them, driving them out. And then there's other times where, these, um, where like, there's, this, there's this prostitute who comes to Jesus, and he doesn't rebuke her. And he welcomes her, shows her love and touches her. And then there's this woman who's caught in cheating on her husband. She's thrown at the feet of Jesus. And instead of rebuking her, he rebukes the people that brought her to him. It's all very fascinating. And you try to gather, well, so what's the rule on how we should treat sinners? There's this wisdom. If, If you're living by the Spirit of God, you'll kind of know. But the pattern I tend to see is that those who are in sin and are oppressing others tend to get the rope whip. They tend to get the Agatha Sune. Those who are in sin and are oppressed by their own sin themselves tend to get the soft Crestotes touch. And so they kind of work together somehow. And there's a wisdom into knowing which. The third word is faithfulness. So this is going to be more of a, a bigger one. The, the, the Greek word is pistis. And the word pistis has a long... Oh, you could say, say pistis. Very good. Um, I could tell you just wanted to say it. Um, this word has like this long history of debate. Even today, in the next year and a half, I know of at least 10 books that are coming out from theological scholars about what the meaning of this word was and now is. Um, it has always been a debated word, because it has changed over time. So Paul writes in this letter, and he says, one of the fruits of the Spirit is pistis. And the people didn't receive this. This is a regular word. It's not a Paul special. So they, they didn't receive this word and debate, okay, we have this word, pistis, what does this mean? This word had been in use for several centuries. It had been used by Aristotle, 
by Socrates, by Euripides. It had been used by all kinds of people. Um, it was a regular word that they, that they knew what it meant. And in their day, it, uh, it, well, so a basic like, definition of pistis is trusting in some, something enough to orientate your life around it. But if you were to look up sort of the way it was used in, in the first century culture, if you were to simplify this whole idea, you're going to see this. Trust in allegiance to. People pledge allegiance to a flag, right? What do you, there's a bunch of things you say in that flag, in that, in that pledge to the flag, and you're pledging allegiance to it. In other words, like, um, given the choice between some other nation and my nation, I'm going to choose my nation kind of stuff, right? Like, that's what the Pledge of Allegiance is. Allegiance has, an, has like, it, a known definition. And so pistis was translated as trusting or allegiance to. At one point, it was a nautical phrase that kind of meant um, rolling something over onto um, like, a, like a boat to take you somewhere. Like, I trust this boat. Um, pistis is what you practice every time you get in your car, not made by you, hopefully, made by somebody else, and you're just trusting that these random strangers who built this car built it well enough for you to get in there and go 80 miles an hour down the road, which is insane. Yet you do it every day. Not only that, you're, you're, you're putting your trust in every single person coming the opposite direction three feet away terrifying. Future generations will write about this, how crazy this was, right? Um, and they'll, they'll get on their futuristic YouTube and be like, look, they would just crash. It's crazy. Um, so trust in and allegiance to was a known definition. It was a known thing that people understood. Um, at some point, the Bible's translated into Latin, um, not straight to English, despite what you've heard, um, into Latin. And, and in Latin, this word translated into this word fide. Now, this word fide, over time, through the medieval ages, and stuff, it, had the, it, came, it sort of transferred into this different kind of definition. And fide is eventually translated into faith. But they kept the word trust. And so now, pistis has transferred and broken into two words, trust and faith. I want to show you two definitions. Webster's, uh, Merriam-Webster's definitions. Now, uh, the definition of trust. Assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of something or someone. We know that. We use the word in that way. I, I trust the character of them. Um, I trust them to make the right decision. I'm going to follow their decision kind of thing. You, you trust them. The definition of faith, though, a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. Those are not the same thing at all. Not even close. Um, there are going to be variations depending on which dictionary you look at, but it's almost always going to have the, I, the phrase like where there is no proof or no evidence or something like that. And when we talk this way in our public spheres, we talk about faith, people of faith. Um, we talk about, oh, I'm not a person of faith. I don't have faith. Um, you're basically, you're describing people who believe in things that they can't prove, right? Yet, this word didn't used to mean this. It used to mean allegiance. And so there's all these, every time you see this word faith in scriptures, um, you're going to see the word pistis. And so there's times where Jesus says, oh, ye of little pistis, little faith. Um, um, every time you kind of see this word, that's what it is. It's pistis. But they heard sort of trust and allegiance. It was different. Do you see the rub? Do you see how difficult this is to understand sort of like, how do we define this word? Because, and, and Miriam Webster, whoever she, he is, I don't know, um, didn't, they didn't determine this. They didn't like say, well, this is what this means and write it down. This book, this dictionary is revised constantly 
to reflect how culture uses the word. We've got 2,000 years of using this word, and the meaning has shifted. That's why there's so much debate about how to define this word. Um, and so then you get to passages um, like uh, Ephesians 4. And what today's audience hears is, by grace you have been saved through a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. That's what, that might not be what you hear, but that's what a lot of people outside the church hear. That might even be what you hear. But the first century audience would hear something different. The same thing, but slightly different nonetheless. For by grace you have been saved through allegiance. Remember last week, Sam got up here and, and it was really good and talked about, he talked about certainty versus faith. Um, these are two different things right here. Two very different things. For by grace you have been saved through, saved through allegiance. We know what allegiance is. Allegiance is like, given the choice between one thing and another thing, I'm going to choose this. I have an allegiance to it. I have committed to it. Whether or not you fully get it, fully understand it, whether or not you have doubts here and there. I mean, this is important because, because people have doubts. If you visit any church today in America... Um, and, it's, and it's heavily sort of, I hate the word, but millennial, um, you're going to find a lot more people struggling with their faith and having more doubts than you did in any previous generation before you. And there's reasons for that. Because of technology? I mean, last time, the last time a giant piece of technology was thrown in our laps, it was 500 years ago, and it was the printing press, and you know what happened? It caused the Reformation, changed the church. Now we have the internet. I believe a reformation is happening and it's changing the church. Um, and, and, and this is, is a big deal because people have doubts. And because maybe you have more questions than answers or maybe you just, you, you get Jesus, you get that. Like that's simple. Jesus is this amazing person and this, the story of, of the, the teachings of Christ and what he did and the, the, the message that he proclaimed to the world about God's love and salvation being offered to everyone and, and the death and the burial and the resurrection and our sins causing all, that all makes sense. And, and the communion, the broken body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ spilled for you, that makes sense. But there's some other things that don't. But you've been told that one of the fruits of the Spirit is a blind faith despite lack of anything you've seen or read. And so you say, I don't, I don't know that I can adhere to this. I don't know that I can take part in this. It's not all you. I want to ask you, what is enough for you? Is Jesus enough? Or does everything have to make perfect sense? Is Jesus enough? Can you declare allegiance to Christ? like a marriage choosing him above all others and living in this way, knowing and trusting that the way of Jesus brings about salvation and healing and just this divine movement towards good in this world. And that you can trust the future of all of this with him. This is one of the, fu- the fruits of the Spirit. Allegiance to. 
Someone who, given the choice between sometimes something that is, that is uh, here's, here's the choice you've got to make. Do you do this or do you not do this? Well, if, if I say yes, um, it could come at great cost to me, great bodily harm, um, almost like my body could be broken and poured out for this a person to stand up for whoever or do whatever. Um, but if I, go, if I say no and I do this, um, it's not going to cost me anything. I'm going to be more safe. I'll be more comfortable. Um, my life will be, will, will be better. My physical life will be better. But no, one of the fruits of the Spirit is, is faith, is allegiance to God. And so your decision will always be the godly thing, no matter how bad it hurts. And yes, your body will be broken and poured out for God. That's the way it goes. That's how salvation happens. And you have allegiance to this. And so in the face of everyone running, you are able to stand and say, I will not, and I will do the right thing. And it's here, and I will go this way. That is what happens when you learn to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Do you see the difference? So then we have all of these words kind of, kind of grow and change off of each other. And so there's this next word, gentleness. The Greek word, gen, it's the, the Greek word for gentleness is this word, protest. Say protest. Protest. Now, the, um, the best way to understand this word is to look up sort of the root word of this one and how it was used. Protest literally refers to a, a, a wild animal that's been tamed, like, like a tiger that is sitting in a cage with a guy and not eating him. He's tamed. Gentleness. Um, a good way to define this is not living up to the destructive power that you possess. People always say, you should live up to the, live up to everything that you have. Well, like we have really destructive abilities within us. We can destroy families. We can destroy nations. We can destroy this world. We can destroy everything emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, um, globally. Like we are capable of incredible destruction but we have put our faith and our allegiance and our trust in Jesus and so we don't destroy everything around us and we make decisions that are based upon love and kindness and sometimes we rebuke and sometimes we use the soft hand um, not taking part in the ways that, that disturb the, the peace that God is bringing into this world so then you have this next word. It's, it's self-control. The Greek word is egkritea. Everyone say egkritea. Another solid breakfast word. Um, <laughs> so if you look at Plato, he kind of def- defines this as self-mastery. Self-mastery. Um, uh, Paul himself defines this in other passages of Scripture. In, in 1 Corinthians, he writes a letter to the Corinthian church, and he, and he says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. The word self-control there. It's egg critea. Now, um, basically, it is the ability to exercise this allegiance that you have. Um, so you, these words all go together. Like, you have allegiance to God, so, so you're not running around destroying everything and blowing everything up. You're, you're working for the goodness of everything and everyone around you, including your own self and your soul and then the world that God wants. And you are self-disciplined, so when the choice comes along to do the wrong thing, you do the right thing. You make the right decision, no matter how terrifying it is or scary it is um, or how conflicted you are about it. You do the right thing. And being conflicted is actually part of the definition in this, there is, there is no promise anywhere in the world, especially not in scriptures, that you will not be conflicted about the things that you were doing. There's not. There's no promise that this is going to be easy. 
Um, there's 400 years before, before Paul, there was a man named Aristotle, and Aristotle um, used this word, and he put it on a graph with a bunch of other words to show sort of human consciousness where people make decisions from. And I, I showed you this back during First Peter when I was teaching through First Peter, but I think that was like two years ago, and we've grown a bit since then, so I'm going to do it again. Um, and so uh, what controls you? Well, um, Aristotle says, like, so he sort of draws this graph, and he's, he uses different things on, on the side wings to describe sort of different directions that you could go. Um, on one side, he puts sort of your passions. He call, it's the word akalasia. Now, the word, the, uh, the word akalasia, this is, um, it's emotional. You're making decisions from a place like, this feels good. It's, it's the donut in the lobby, right? It feels good. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to eat it. It's right there. I'm walking by. I'm going to get coffee. Hey, grab a donut on the way. So um, this is on one end of the spectrum. You're just going to do it because you want to. It's like the definition of living by the flesh, all right? Now, um, on the other end, you have the person that walks right past the donuts and doesn't take any. The person uh, who exercises what's called isofrosune. Say that, isofrosune. Isofrosune. All right, so that's reason. Reason tells you if you eat the donut, you're going to be really tired, you're going to have a sugar crash, and you're going to gain weight. Like all of these things tell you you should not eat it. And the person over here is like, so? Donut. <laughs> Right? And so Issa Fursune says, no. Okay? Now, the battle rages inside of you when you see the donuts, and, and, and Aristotle, in his wisdom, has some words for that. Acrasia is, uh, is, is a battle between your passion and your reason, but the passion wins out. This is the person who says, I really shouldn't, but I will. And they take one. <laughs> now, that's acrasia. This is where the battle is usually lost. For most of us, in every aspect of our life. Paul actually uses this word um, in, let's see, I wrote the reference down. Oh man, I'm not even, I'm off my nose. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes to the, um, the married couples in his church and he says, Hey, um, because you have a crassia, because you want to do the wrong thing, but sometimes you stumble, be generous sexually to each other. That's what he says. Like, please each other, keep each other happy because this exists and that'll screw stuff up. Sometimes you'll go the wrong way. Now, um, sometimes you'll lose the battle and, and make terrible mistakes. So, um, and then there's this other word that he puts right here. It's similar. It's the battle rages. It's the word egkritea. That's the word that we're using today, right? So, egkritea. This is, uh, you have this battle between your passions and your reason, and your reason wins. And so, yeah, you are a little torn. You say, I really, really want to. It's not good for me. It's not good for my family. Um, I'm going to rise above the flesh. I'm going to live by the Spirit. There are things which are good and healthy, and they take the world in a better place. They take my life in a better place, my spiritual life, my social life, my married life, um, psychologically, just physically, globally, all of it. There's things that are better, and so I'm going to do these despite what else is going on and despite how badly I want to do the other thing. This is Ed Critea. A very in-depth description of the word egkritea. And this is a fruit of the Spirit. Someone who has this allegiance to Jesus, the things of Christ. And because of this allegiance, not only have they tamed the beast inside of them, and they're no longer living in this way, that is dangerous to everything that God is doing. Um, not only do they have that, they, they also have self-mastery. They're able to rise above and make better decisions. Not only that, they're able to use their egkritea, their wisdom, their 
self-control. Now, um, notice he didn't say isofrasune. A lot of people tell you, we live by reason and only reason. And, when, and, and we live this way and, and we just, we don't think about the ramifications emotionally. We don't think about any of that. We just, we just do it. And who cares what anyone says? Well, God created you with passions. He's not trying to get you to cancel those out. But people who live by passions are equally as dangerous as people who just simply live by reason and don't use empathy, compassion, any of it. And so there should be like this battle inside of you that kind of rages where like there is, it's a difficult thing, but you're going to act from allegiance to Jesus and this is all fruit that grows on the tree. So, <clears throat> we have all of this. Paul lays, lists out all of these fruits of the Spirit. And then, he says something sort of to wrap this up. He says this. He says, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ, to Christ Jesus, oops, to Christ Jesus, um, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the, with the Spirit. Now, uh, a couple of things. The first here, against such things there is no law. What he's saying there is, um, and this is affirmed everywhere in scriptures. This is the nature of God. The God. God would never lead you in a way that is against these things. And God has never forbid these things. This is the way that you should live if you are a follower of God. And this is the way it has always been. Now, um, and then we have verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is sort of what baptism was about a few weeks ago. People standing up to say, I want to put this to death. I want to live differently from a different place. It doesn't mean they stand up and they, they suddenly do it. And suddenly they've put it all to bed. Um, this is a proclamation. It's a cry for help. It's, it's a, a gift of the church that, that we see that you are trying to rise above your other way. And we are going to help pull you towards your sanctification in Christ. You're going to become these things with the help of all of us together. And with your commitment to this. You're wedding yourself to putting this behind you. And so there's all of that. And in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I love uh, N.T. Wright, Bishop N.T. Wright, his, his, his sort of, um, what, his translation from the Greek into English, and, and he writes this, uh, if we live by the Spirit, then our lives will line up with the Spirit. That's why it's called fruit. You can tell by what is, you can tell someone's living by the Spirit because their life lines up with it. There are all kinds of people saying, that they are followers of Christ, they call themselves Christians, and you look at their life and you say, this is not making any sense because I know what Jesus taught and I see what you're doing. It's not lining up. So um, we just, me and my wife, we just, we just bought a house and we're renovating it and there's this tree. Now I'm not a botanist, so I don't know a lot of what different kinds of trees are. I know what a pine tree is because it puts needles down and that's easy to guess. So pine trees, I can guess those. Um, the rest of them, I'm just kind of like, that's a nice tree. Oak, maple, something, I don't know, whatever it is. Um, I know palm trees are not actually trees. They're grass. So there's that. Huh? Right? Crazy. Um, and uh, so there's this tree on our property, and it's a grapefruit tree. You know how I know? Um, the, the, on the trunk, there's this specific kind of pattern in the bark that you can look at, and you can, it's freaking covered in grapefruits. <laughs> That's how I know it's a grapefruit tree. And that's important to understand. 
You can tell what something is by just looking at the fruit. Now, I spend too much time now looking at the fruit of what has become modern evangelical Christianity. I am troubled by it, by the direction it is heading, by the thing, words that come out of, out, of, out of our mouths and then the things that we do in the public sphere, like how we act, the way we live. Um, and it seems like we have bought into the idea that faith is just simply a, a, thing, a set of things that I like, yeah, I, I believe these things, um, but we have no allegiance to Jesus. We're not willing to allow our own lives to be broken and poured out for others. And uh, I grew up in evangelical church. We're an evangelical denomination, but I'm, I'm pretty critical of it as of the last couple of years. Um, they've lost an entire generation, most of your generation, again, millennials, um, are having nothing to do with it. I understand why. I understand your complaints. I understand your frustrations. I've felt them many times. Um, I believe what Jesus said when he said, you'll know them by their fruits. I believe that. There are plenty of people who have big sort of talking points and lots of doctrinal arguments and they just treat people awful. And then there are lots of people who don't seem to know much who hold on to this thing like they're just doing everything they can to to hang on but they're loving people from the depths of their souls. And so it's possible for biblical scholars to live by the flesh and for the leaders of our churches nationwide to live by the flesh. It's possible for people who know very little or understand very little but who are doing everything they can just to follow Jesus to bear the fruit of a spiritual giant. It is absolutely possible and it's present everywhere. This is not an argument in intellectualism. Christianity is not. It's allegiance to a king and a kingdom that is not of this world. And our allegiance has always been there. You can look back through Christian history and there was times when you can look at things and you can say, people lived and, and bore fruit that was loving and good. And people who were in need, their need was eradicated and their love, the love of Jesus was just like rained down upon them. And I feel like we've lost it. I feel like it's missing. And I feel like God is moving us on from this sort of ivory tower we've built. And I don't know what God is building, but I think it's good. I think it'll take a lot of pain to tear down the idols that we've built. I think it'll take a lot of soul searching. But I think God is guiding us and leading us into some new reformation. I don't know what it is, but I feel it. And so, I want to be even just a small group of people in a small city that bears fruit. That people can look at us and say, like, I see Jesus in in you. Like, everything I've heard about Jesus, you you tend to live it out. And that's what I I want to start with us. Because it's got to start somewhere. And there are small pockets of people like you trying to change things, trying to move things forward spiritually 
in, in the Christian sphere, we can do this. We really can. Um, but it, it's going to take us a lot of confession and a lot of change. And so one of the best ways to sort of model this is by taking communion together. So many different types of people in this room. So many different veins of Christianity in this room. We agree that the body and the blood of Christ is what brings healing. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ spilled for you. We believe this brings healing. And every time we come together in this way, we stop arguing and we stop all the things, all the, all the bickering and the differences, and we agree here, and we are all fed. And so next time we come back together, we're a little more whole and a little more loving, a little more gracious. So our communion servers, you guys can take the, the elements and uh, spread around the room if you would. And um, we do this every week. It's just common things. It's bread. It's just bread. It's just wine. It's, act- it's actually not even wine. It's like Welch's grape juice. Um, I'm going to call it wine because I'm a pastor. And, uh, and it's a symbol of, of everything that we believe. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ spilled for you. For the healing of you and your world. So our communion servers are going to come forward. Let's take some time in communion and end in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you were doing here with us. Awaken your people again. Reveal to us that that you are all that we need. That our allegiance is to Jesus, one king, one kingdom. And may that allegiance be considered higher than any decision that we make anywhere. Given the option between you and anything, let us choose your way. Let us choose the way of Christ, the way of grace and mercy and reconciliation. For for 2,000 years, you have guided your people towards these things. Don't let us be the generation that loses sight of that. Guide us, change us. We love you. In your name, amen. Take some time and talk to Jesus.